Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for being with us today. Hallelujah. Thank you to our worship team for all their hard work. Amen, amen, amen. Would somebody help? Brandon, would you grab that for me? Do you mind, brother? Thank you. Oh, it's so good to be with you this morning. How many of you are glad to be in the house of God today? Amen. That's a couple of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. I'll ask it again. How many of you are glad to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. I'll ask an even better question. How many of you are glad to be the house of God this morning? The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, my dear. That's my beautiful daughter, Claire, helping out her daddy. Uh, The Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God himself dwells on the inside of us. I don't know if you realize it this morning, but you're God's house. Amen. If you're saved, if you're delivered... If you're set free this morning, how many of you are glad to be saved in the house this morning? Anybody glad? Amen. Well, if that's you, if you're saved, then you are God's house. You are the temple of the Spirit of God. The God of heaven lives in you this morning. Amen. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. The God of heaven lives in you this morning. Amen. What could be better than having Jesus live in you? What could be better than having God's Spirit live in you. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. If I haven't met you yet or said hello to you, my name is Pastor Josh. My wife, Brianne, and I are pastors here at Hope Church. We're just delighted that you're with us this morning. That's right. You want to say anything? No? Okay. Just just checking. <laughs> Always got to make sure that Brianne's happy. Amen. My wife, Brianne, and I, we're just so thrilled to be to, to have you with us this morning and to just share in life with you and to, and to fellowship with you. We're, we're so excited and we're just so excited about what God's doing in our church um, and, and, and the way that the Lord is ministering to people. We've just had such a wonderful time in, in, in the presence of the Lord these last couple months. And man, I'm just, as I, as I look back and I reflect, I'm just really thankful, very, very thankful for each and every one of you that are with us today, those who are watching uh, this morning live. uh, If you're not with us, we're thankful for you. We're grateful to have you in our lives. I want to say two things, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Um, We have, I don't want you to forget that after the service today, we're having our potluck, and many of you brought a lot of food, and there's, it's funny because I got to church this morning, there's just crockpots everywhere. There's like... I just, I was walking around downstairs, there's like aluminum trays and tins and crock pots and vessels of all kinds and shapes. And I was like, praise God, it's a good Sunday. Well, I'll tell you what. So uh, don't forget that after the service is over, we're going to be having our crock pot uh, uh, potluck. There you go. It's what it is. It's what it is. Uh, when I wrap up the service, we'll, we'll kind of we won't proceed quite as usual because we're going to be setting up tables and stuff up here. So we'll need your helping hands. And uh, when after we dismiss the service, Frankie's going to come and give some, uh, a, just address how we want to proceed with setup for that. Um, 
So just be listening for that at the end of service. If you didn't plan on staying for lunch, stay for lunch. Stay for lunch. We'd love to hug you and shake your hand and talk to you and get to know you if we don't know you. If we do know you, we'd like to know you more. Amen. So stay for lunch today. Um, one other thing that I want to share before we begin, uh, before I begin my message, is we we ministered, the church ministered this past Friday uh, at Freedom Farms Ministries, and it was absolutely powerful. How many of you were there? Could I see your hands if you were there? All right, a couple of you. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, I, Vanessa gave us a report of, of what an awesome time that was. Uh, ministering to those gentlemen. So thank you guys for taking up your time and going and, and, and ministering to them. I understand that Josh Hamby preached and just preached the fire down and had an absolute awesome time. So he's downstairs this morning working in kids ministry. If you see him, give him a high five and a hug and tell him he did a good job. Amen. Because I'm just, you know what? I'm just so thankful for everything that happens in our church that I don't have to preach at. It's just really nice to know that the, that the community is being touched and I wasn't even there. It was awesome. Praise God. Probably was better because I wasn't there. So, amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to conclude our series that we've been preaching on for a number of weeks titled Community Matters. Community Matters. I've talked to you over the past, I think, four weeks that we've been in this series talking about what godly, healthy community should look like within the context of a local church. And um, we, 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 we talked about 10 specific indicators that came out of Acts chapter 2. Uh, and we, we've covered the big four, the first four from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I want to talk about the remaining items this morning. So if you would go to Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin reading verse 42 down through verse 47. Amen. How many of you brought your Bibles with you to church this morning? Still a couple of saved people in here? Okay, good. Awesome. That's one thing I miss from growing up in church is the sound of Bible pages turning because everybody gets their Bible on their phone now. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we'll read down through verse 47. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. What an awesome passage of Scripture. See, I think this is what community is supposed to look like in the church. I believe that the early church served as a template for what church should always be and should always look like. Amen. I don't think anything's changed from that time until now. You say, Pastor, it's a different world than it was. Of course it is. But let me tell you what hasn't changed. People. Amen. People have not changed. Technology's changed. The, the, you know, the world has, has shifted. Nation borders have changed. So many things have changed. But you know what hasn't changed? The hearts of men and women. People have not changed. We still have the same basic needs now that we did 2,000 years ago when this was written. 
So I believe that God's got an answer for the hurts of this world, and his answer is the church mobilized to take the gospel into the world. Can you say amen to that? So I believe this is such a beautiful example of what we've read just now, of what healthy community is supposed to look like in a church. Amen. Um, I want to just quickly do a moment of review, and then we'll pray, and and we'll make our, our faith confession that we like to make. But just quickly... Last week, we, we finished verse 42 by talking about prayer. And I, I said to you that your prayer life, our prayer life, ought to be a consistent, confident conversation. A consistent, confident conversation. We said that you're never more effective in prayer than when you're consistent in prayer. And that goes for anything, right? That's, that's not just prayer. That's just everything. You're never more effective at something than when you're consistent in it. The other thing we said is that our prayer ought to be confident. It can be a difficult thought for us to digest because we're conditioned to assume that our prayer life needs to be profound rather than being honest. Amen. But our prayer life ought to be confident. We ought to hold nothing back and don't beat around the bush with God when we're talking to him. Amen. If you don't like it when your kids do it, just understand God doesn't like it when you do it. Amen. And then thirdly, our prayer ought to be a conversation. If our prayer is always one-sided, then we need to take a step back and, and analyze and assess, hey, what are we doing here? We should be hearing from God. Amen? So we're going to talk today about the remaining six indicators of healthy community that we find here in Acts chapter 2. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to receive from your word. Lord, I thank you that the Bible declares boldly that the entrance of your word brings light. This morning as we receive the Word of God, the God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, I thank you that as we receive that, we're receiving wisdom, we're receiving insight, we're receiving revelation into your heart, into your thoughts, into your ways. You're bringing the light of truth out of your Word into our hearts this morning, and we are grateful for it. So Lord, we ask you to speak to us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Let's make our, our, uh, our confession that we like to make, this faith declaration that we love. I want you to go ahead and read it out loud off the screen. Say, thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today, I'm growing in the things of God. Amen. We believe we're growing in the things of God. So we took our time in the first verse of this passage and covered what, I, what I'm calling the big four, right? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Those four things were listed right at the top of this passage. And we took our time and covered those four things from verse 42. Now we want to spend today looking at the effects of those four things. There are six other things that the passage mentions, and I believe those six things are the, are the byproduct or the effect, if you will, of the first four things. Because how many of you know when a group of people get together and they get in the Word and they have fellowship together, they eat together, and they pray together, all these things we're going to talk about happen. And it doesn't happen because of their super craftiness. It doesn't happen because people are so smart. It happens because God's Spirit is living in His church, and He is desiring to see the lives of men and women transformed. 
So as we get on the same page with God, it's not like God gets on the same page with us. It's like we get on the same page with God and all of a sudden powerful things begin to happen through our lives. Amen. So the way this passage is written, it's just easy for us to see how these six things we're going to talk about today kind of flow out of and work out of the first four. All of them are byproducts of being in the word, being in fellowship, having meals together and praying together. We're not meant to live in isolation. I think if there was one big takeaway that everybody can, can get from this, this uh, series, it's that you're not meant to live in isolation. You're not designed by God to live alone. Amen. It's one of the first things that, that God said to Adam when he went, after he made Adam. Matter of fact, he said it about Adam to himself. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And likewise, you and I are not designed to live in isolation. Amen? So, um, I, I, just, I just can't get off of this, this idea that, that it's a spiritual practice to eat meals together. I was thinking about it this morning while I was getting ready. And I thought, you know, I can understand being in the Word and that being spiritual. I can understand prayer being spiritual. I can even understand being in fellowship as spiritual. But eating? Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's a spiritual thing? It sure is. And, and here's why. I started to think back in my own life. And my parents have been in the ministry since before I was born. And uh, so I was born into a church family, a ministry family. And I can remember as a young man, and then, and then as I aged, going after church services were over to sit with my dad and mom and others who were ministers and just listen to them talk about the word. And I'll tell you what, some of the most profound times in my life of spiritual development have happened while I was sitting around a table talking with and listening to people talk about the Word of God. So I'm here to tell you, I can't get off of it for some reason, but it's a spiritual thing to eat together with one another, amen? That's why we're doing it this afternoon when service is over. So six things that begin in verse 43 and continue down through verse 47. Uh, be, due to time restraints, I can't dig real deep into each one of these, but I want to I go deep enough that they make an impact. The first thing that comes from verse 43, the verse reads, Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. The first thing that I want to point out to you is that there was, in the early church, reverence for God. Reverence for God. I want to read to you three verses that come from the Proverbs, and you don't have to turn with me unless you would like to, but these are three verses on the fear of the Lord. Listen to what the Bible says about having a reverence for the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise instruction. I remember looking up the word beginning in the Hebrew, and one of the ways that you can translate that Hebrew word is the word source. Source. In other words, the fear of the Lord is the source of knowledge. When you think about a source, what do you think about? I, I, think, about, uh, I think about the hose and the spigot that's on the side of my house. If I want to go get water, what do I do? I go to the source. 
I go to the spigot and I turn it on. I'm here to tell you that the fear of the Lord is the spigot where knowledge and wisdom begins to pour out. When you develop in your life, when I develop in my life, a reverential fear for God, you should not then be surprised when his wisdom begins to pour into your life as a result. The fear of the Lord is the source of, the beginning of knowledge. It's the spout where wisdom comes out. Amen. If you want a good way to remember it, it's the spout where wisdom comes out. The fear of the Lord. Amen. Look at Proverbs chapter 10. This is so good. Not enough people are preaching and teaching about the fear of the Lord this, this time, this, this, this era of our lives. We don't have enough folks talking about the fear of God. Amen. I'm going to talk about it, though. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. You want to have a long life? Get some reverence for God in your world. Amen. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 and 27 says, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. My gosh. How many of you have ever thought about the fear of the Lord and reverence for God being a source and a spring of life? It's amazing. Notice that it says there, the fear, in the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence. We talked last week about our prayer life being confident. Do you know it seems counterintuitive? Listen to me. It seems counterintuitive. But the more reverence you develop for God, the more bold your prayer life will be. And that seems counterintuitive because we would think that, you know, the more reverence I have for the Lord, the more sheepish I would be when I come to him. But it's quite the opposite. The more you reverence God, the more fear the Lord is in you, the greater you understand your father, so the bolder you're willing to come to him. It's very interesting. How do we know that's true? Because verse 26 says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Amen. Let me tell you that a church that loses its sense of reverence for God will eventually find its identity in things that are openly irreverent to God. A church that loses its sense of reverence for the things of God ultimately will find its identity in things that are openly irreverent to God. I said this several weeks back. What begins as subtle ultimately becomes brash and in your face. Amen. It's like the church that, that it's like they, they let the praise and worship team wear flip-flops while they're playing. And it's just like, no, it's cool. We're understanding. We're a cool church. And it's funny how subtly those things morph, and pretty soon they become the flip-flop church, and they're proud of it. And then we wonder, where did the glory go? Why don't people get healed when we pray for them? What happened? Selah. <laughs> it's only weird if you make it weird. Okay. <laughs> no, we, 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 what happens is we soften our expectation of ourselves to appease our flesh 
and we lose slowly. It slowly leaks out of our lives, reverence for God. And then what happens is ultimately we become just so casual about the things of God, and then we wonder why we're not effective. Let it never be so in our lives. What, ha- what else happens in verse 43? It says, great fear fell upon every soul, and, and many, everybody say many, many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Can I ask you a question? Do you think the fear of the Lord is for our generation today? Yeah? Did I just get done talking about that? Yes, I did. Do you believe that the fear of the Lord is for our church and for our generation? Yes, then why on earth would miracles and signs and wonders not be? I mean, it's in the same doggone verse. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Great power came upon the early church as they stayed in God's word, as they stayed in prayer. And do you want to know why great power came upon the early church? Because great power is necessary to win the world for Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus cares about souls. At the end of the day, Jesus doesn't want church to be us for no more. He wants lots of people to come into his family. He's very interested in seeing the whole world saved. The Bible says in 1 Peter, it's not God's will that any should perish. It's not his desire that any one person should ever die and go to hell. And so he takes very seriously this notion of soul winning. And as a result, he understands if you want to win the world for him, you're going to need some power to do it. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, let me read it to you. Chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus is speaking and listen to what he said. He said, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry, that's an old English word that means hold up, wait, stop, pause. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but wait, pause in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Jesus is given a little prophetic insight here about what's about to come, what's about to happen to these guys. He's talking to his boys. He's talking, he's talking to the guys that he has just spent the last three and a half years with. And they've watched him do everything from walk on water to raise the dead, to cast demons out of people, to multiply loaves and fishes. I mean, Jesus' miracle working power knew absolutely no boundary. He could double your dinner and raise you up out of a wheelchair just like that. Doesn't matter. He's powerful. He's God. Duh. He's God. Of course he's powerful. So Jesus has just spent the last three and a half years with his guys. And these are some of his parting words to them. He's saying, fellas, you got to go and do what I've been doing for the last three and a half years. But don't try to do it until... You get endued with power from on high. How is that power from on on high going to happen? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus again speaking. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. The church 
that tries to live and minister and do without the power of God is an exercise in futility and the doctrine of men. I'm here to tell you, if, if, if we as a church don't prioritize God's power and his spirit, if we don't tell people the good news that the Holy Spirit was poured out for your sake so that you could be saved, delivered, and healed, so that you could live a life that is worthy of the calling of God that's on you, if we don't tell people that, if we just, if we just stick with our ideas of Scripture, we will fall into the trap of the error of men's doctrine. The futility, Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The futility of human wisdom. Every, every ounce of our wisdom is very limited. But man, when God gets involved, he begins to change people's lives. He shows up and all kinds of crazy things happen. Listen to these quotes. This one's from Leonard Ravenhill, the great revivalist of the early 1900s. He says, but there's, there is one way to save this generation. It is the way of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Charles Spurgeon, often regarded as the greatest preacher to ever live apart from Jesus and the Apostle Paul. The Prince of Preachers, he was called. Charles Spurgeon said this, a church in the land, this is hard, this is hard to hear, but I want you to hear it. A church in the land without the Spirit is rather a curse than a blessing. If you have not the Spirit of God, Christian worker, remember that you stand in somebody else's way. You are a fruitless tree standing where a fruitful tree might grow. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, Leonard Ravenhill, this is the third quote, listen to this. He says, to me, it is a shocking commentary on present Christian feebleness that while in the first century, 120 men could move from an upper room closet and shake Jerusalem, now 120 churches claiming a like experience of the Holy Spirit can be in one of our cities, and yet that city at large hardly notices that they're there. I'm here to tell you the miraculous, the outpouring of God's Spirit is not something to run from. It is something to contend for. It's not something to run and shy away from. It's something to contend for. A church without the power of God's Spirit misses God's ultimate intention by embracing only human intellect. That's a quote from the great... Pastor Joshua Thurman. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. A church without the power of the Spirit of God misses God's ultimate intention. It's all about the, those people out there getting to know and have an interaction with Jesus, not, only, not just any Jesus, the Jesus that lives in you. So we have to not run from the things of the Spirit. We have to learn to contend for and hold fast and fight for the things of God's Spirit. I had this thought enter into my mind this morning. Because I said, you know, Lord, the problem with the, when we talk about miracles and God's Spirit and all that kind of stuff is that, you know, sometimes it gets weird. And people, yeah, that's right. Sometimes it gets weird. And, and people don't like weird, Lord. We're trying to get people saved, and, and, and you're trying to have weird stuff happen. 
And it's like this power struggle with the Spirit of God. Like, listen, I don't like weirdness any more than you do. This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, I'm not weird. He said, the flesh of people is weird. That's a profound revelation. That's why, that's why, God, that's why the Bible, I don't have time to get into all this, but that, go read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul gives us some very clear instruction on how we're to expect and anticipate God's spirit to move in our lives. And he gives us just enough boundaries to keep it from getting weird. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's not weird. He's dynamic. He's powerful. He's, he's one-third of the Godhead. He is God living in his church. He's not weird. Your flesh is weird. Amen, you squirrely thing, you. We used to call them granola Christians. Fruits, nuts, and flakes. Amen. Amen. No, what I'm, you know what I'm interested in? I'm interested in the authentic. I'm not, I'm not interested in people being weird in the presence of God. I am interested in when the Holy Spirit moves in the room and suddenly blind eyes pop open. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm interested in. Glory to God. It ain't weird. It's amazing. Hallelujah. It's God on display. All right, number three, I got to keep moving because we got a lot of food and crockpots that need to be eaten. <laughs> number three, let's continue reading down through verse 45. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. The third thing that we see here is radical generosity. Radical generosity. Amen. Now, I used to read this verse and get super uncomfortable because I used to think that I read it wrong. I read it thinking that it said that everybody sold everything and they all like lived in some commune, like some kind of weird M. Night Shyamalan movie, right? And, and I, I just totally read it wrong. It doesn't say that they sold everything. It says that as people had need, those who had abundance sold what they needed to to provide for the needs of those who didn't. That's all it is. But here's the thing. It's radical. Why? Because the world doesn't work like that. It flies in the face of everything popular culture tells us to do. Look out for yourself. You know, take care of number one. You know, just make, get yours. You know, just uh, get rich and die or die trying. Right? Y'all follow me? Okay, somebody does. Anyways, listen, the, the, the world is going to tell you to do everything in your power to step on everybody you have to to get successful. But the kingdom works completely differently. God's blessing is poured out in your life in response to your giving. So, you know, so when Johnny over here needs a new transmission for his car, what do we do? The body rallies around him and says, Johnny, we got you, bro. We're going to get you that new transmission, no sweat. And what happens? God's abundance pours back into the church. It's his design for how it works. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9. Verse 8 through 11, I'll just read it to you from the New Living. It says, and God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. 
For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Look at the result. Everybody gets their needs taken care of. Everybody gets blessed by God and by one another. And the net result is everybody's thanking God when it's all said and done. Guess who gets the credit when you give? God. Guess who gets the credit when you're blessed? God. Hallelujah. The church is at its, I believe this, the church is at its best when it's giving radically. I just absolutely believe it with my whole heart. We give, well, well, again, I don't have time. We give a lot away in this church. Why? Because I believe this scripture to be true. Amen? All right, let's keep going. Verse 46 says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You know what this verse is a picture of, verse 46? It's a picture of contentment. This is a picture of a life of contentment. I think this is perhaps one of the biggest nuggets, excuse me, one of the biggest nuggets of revelation in this whole passage. Do you know how radical it is to the world to see you content? Think about that for just a, for just a minute. Do you know how radically different it is for you and I to be content? It's crazy. It's nuts. It's bonkers. Listen, nobody in our world is content. Go, listen, go, go take a sample. Go take a sample of popular culture. Just get on your Instagram feed this afternoon for 10 minutes. That's all it's going to take is about 10 minutes. Get in your social circles. Get on your Instagram or Facebook feed. Just look at the news for 10 minutes, and you'll find out very quickly almost no one in society is actually content. Bound up with anxiety, bound up with comparison, bound up with just, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and trying to do this and that and the other to craft for themselves a a, a good life. People are all the time just focused on their own hustle. Nobody's living a life of content. That's why the church needs to. Because it stands in stark comparison to the reality of the world out there. Amen. Don't you want to look different from your neighbors? I do. Come on. Gladness is the net result of everything that's been said up until this point. Everything that we've read from this whole passage, it equals joy and gladness. I looked up the word gladness here in the Greek. It's the word that means extreme joy. Extreme. When's the last time you were so filled with the extreme joy of God that you were totally content with everything in your life? Yeah, right? Amen. One of the biggest takeaways here is the reality that what we need, what we actually need to be content as human beings is found in this passage. See, we think that we need all this other stuff to produce joy in our lives. That's why we chase it so hard. But there's a contrast between what we think we need and what actually produces joy in our lives. Do you know what actually produces joy in your life? 
Continuing steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship. Eating together. Praying. Being radically generous. Expecting miracles and signs and wonders. Having a reverence for God. All of these things working together produce in you and I contentment. That I live a life that is utterly satisfied. I always come back to Psalm chapter 91 verse 16 because it says, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And I believe that for my own life, for my wife, for my girls, and for you too. I believe that with long life, God will not just keep you alive. He will satisfy you. See, I don't believe you're supposed to live a long, miserable life. I believe you're supposed to live a long, happy, fulfilled life, content in the things of God and making a difference in the world. Verse 47 goes on to read, Praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's two more things, two more indicators of healthy church community in this verse 47. The first one is that they had favor with all the people. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 51 verse 2, it says, You will surround the righteous with favor like a shield. That's incredible. That is an incredible thought. I, I, how, many of you, how many of you could just use a little more favor in your life? All of you? Okay, I'm the only honest one in the room. Anybody else want to get in on this? Yeah. <laughs> I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, you, you, some people are so busy praying for money, what they, realize, what they don't realize is they don't need more money, they need more favor. Because favor can get you what money can't. Favor will open doors that $25 billion wouldn't open. But somehow God's favor gets involved and all of a sudden you're in a room you, didn't, you shouldn't be in. You're in a room standing with people and you're going, how the heck did I get here? Favor will put you in places that God desires you to be, but man could never put you. Let me say that again. Favor will put you in places that God desires you to be, but man could never put you there. Your efforts could never get you there. I'm here to tell you, when it comes to your job, your world, your business, your life, your family, you need to be believing God and expecting for his favor to be working in you. His favor is the working of his grace in action in your life. And I'm telling you, it will take, listen, it will take all the striving out of your world. It will. I'm here to tell you, it will. I can't tell you the times in my own life where not because I deserve it, not because I did a great job, but just because God is faithful, that I've had his favor show up in all kinds of different places. I'll tell you an example. I was, uh, I was working. I, I had just moved out of the house that I was living in. It was the first house, first time I was ever away from my parents. Uh, like not physically, but living away from them. And I was living in a house with a roommate, and, and we, were, we were just just really just doing the opposite of living for Jesus, you know? And, um, and so I, I lived for about nine months uh, in this place, and finally the Lord got a hold of me, and I said, I'm done. I got I to gotta move back home. I can't be living out here with no accountability, and <laughs> it was wild times, folks. <laughs> um, it really wasn't that bad, but it was... For me, it was bad. I grew up in church, okay? I was born in Sunday school. So, um, 
So I was running from the Lord, but he got a hold of me and turned my life around, and I moved back in with my parents, and I needed a job. And so they, they, they lived in Fort Myers, which is about an hour and a half from where I was living, so I moved back home, and I was in a different city, and so I needed a place to work. And so me being a good you know, Italian just decided I'm going to go work for an Italian restaurant. And I found this little tiny Italian restaurant that I thought was great. And this is the only time my mom and I have ever had a disagreement. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to work for this place. And my mom's like, no, nah, don't go to work for them. Go to Carabas, which was around the corner. She was like, Carabas is always busy. You'll make more money there. And I'll never forget, I was like, I really, I went and applied for Carabas. I was an obedient son. But I just, I remember leaving the appointment and something on the insides going, "Mm mm-mm. And so I went over to this other little tiny Italian restaurant that I wanted to work at the whole time. And I I went in and had an interview there. And something on the insides going, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep. It's the red light, green light that God gives you. That's how you know you're saved, man. His spirit bears witness with you on the inside. And so when it comes time to make a decision, don't do it from here. Do it from here. Come on. That's just free little nugget. You can take that home. Amen. So, so I get hired at this little tiny place, and I'm working. I was doing all right. I was making pretty good money, I guess, for, a, you know, whatever, however old I was at that point. And one night I was working there. And I had, I had been uh, doing graphic design for a few years, and I'd started, I decided I need to put together a little portfolio. So I had just started working, putting a portfolio together, and that one of the following evenings, I was working late, and it was the last table in the restaurant, and I was waiting on them. They'd become regulars of mine, this couple, and they brought another couple in with them that night. So I was waiting on the four of them. They were the last one in the restaurants. You know, we're, we're cleaning up and sweeping. And I was just having casual conversation as I do with them. And they started to ask me, what do, what, what do I want to do with my life? Are you going to work? Are you going to wait tables forever? Or what do you want to do? I said, well, honestly, I said, I, I'm a graphic designer. And, and I just started putting together my portfolio. So I'm hoping at some point I'm going to be able to get like a business off the ground. And, and, I'm gonna, and they go, okay, mm-hmm, all right. We said goodbye, they wrapped up, they went home. About 15 minutes later, I get a phone call at the restaurant. And, and it was a guy named Bob Mandracia was his name. He said, is this Josh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is Dr. Bob. I said, oh, I thought maybe he left something at the restaurant. He said, listen, you still got that portfolio ready? I said, yes, sir. He said, I got you an interview tomorrow morning at the Jack Parker Corporation. They need a graphic designer. They're a real, major real estate developer in the area. And uh, it was just so happened that his girlfriend happened to be the senior vice president. He said, I got you a job tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Wear a tie. Don't be late. <laughs> and I'll never forget as long as I live riding to the second floor in the elevator, watching the doors part and seeing at the end of the long hallway, the big logo, Jack Parker Corporation. And I thought, I was like, Paul, <laughs> I was in weakness and fear and much trembling. And I walked to the end of it, but I put that on pause because, you know, mama didn't raise no fool. And I, and I, I, I walked in there and I said, I'm Josh Thurman. I got, a, I got an interview here. And I sat down with them and they grilled me for about an hour and a half. And I, can I tell you something? The Lord spoke through me. All my answers were exactly what they wanted to hear. Everything, everything that they were looking for, I had it. But it wasn't me. What was it? It was the favor of God. 
It was the favor of God that put me in the little restaurant instead of the big one. It was the favor of God that put me at that table instead of all the other tables I could have got. It was the favor of God that got me on the phone. It was the favor of God that got me in the room. It was the favor of God that worked in me as I was in the room talking. It was the favor of God that got me at that point the best job I'd ever had in my life. I went from waiting tables and the following week I had an office with a door and a secretary and business cards. I didn't know what planet I had just landed on. And those two years, three years, however long it was that I was there, was was some of the biggest growth in my life. Taught me how to to behave in a corporate world. I had no idea. I was so green. I had no idea. Those experiences. Can I tell you something? Oh, man, this is good. Some of you need to hear this because you're looking for money and God wants to give you favor instead. It was those years, you want to know one of the things I learned in those years? I learned how to talk to to people that were a billion times richer than I was. I'll never forget the first time I got in the elevator with the president of the company. He only came into the office once or twice a week because when you're the president of a major real estate development company that's worth, you know, millions of dollars, you don't have to come to the office every day. So he whipped in his BMW, and, and, and we just both happened to be going in at the same time. His name was John. He's a wonderful man. And I was in the elevator with him alone. <laughs> and again, weakness and fear and much trembling, but, you know, cut that out. And I stood there, and by the time we got to the second floor, one of the two of us had broken the ice. And I learned, listen to this, I learned he was just another person just like me. And he was flesh and bone just like me. And he needed Jesus just as bad as I did. And I learned in that elevator that day that I didn't need to be, ta- to be afraid to talk to people with influence. And can I tell you that's one of the greatest assets that has blessed my life, especially in pioneering a church. Because I, don't have, I won't even think twice to sit across from the desk of the governor or the mayor or I don't care who. I'm not intimidated by you or anybody else because you're just a person like I am. You know how I learned that? Favor taught me that. Well, I've spent a little too much time talking about favor. Have you got five minutes left? Listen, this is the most important part from verse 47. The most important part. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Lest we forget what this is all about. It's all about people getting saved, man. I wrote this in my notes. Of course this kind of church is going to grow. Duh. Of course this kind of church is going to grow. A church that prioritizes the word? that prioritizes fellowship, that prioritizes eating together, that prioritizes prayer, a church that is, that, is, that is prioritizing reverence and miracles and radical generosity, contentment, and is living in God's favor, of course this church is going to grow. The reason churches like this grow is because they do this all. All those things we just talked about, they do it all with the lost in mind instead of doing it selfishly. 
It's not a us for no more mentality. It's a how many people can we cram in here mentality. How many people can we introduce to Jesus this weekend mentality. Can I propose to you that one of the reasons, not the only one, but one of the reasons why the world hasn't flocked to our modern churches is because we haven't given them a whole lot of reason to be drawn to Jesus. It's not the only reason why churches don't grow, but I think it's one of them. We haven't given people a reason to be drawn. It's because people look at the church and they see us fighting with each other instead of living in contentment. It's because they they look at the church and they see us begging all the time instead of being abundantly blessed. It's because they look at the church and they see we don't even have reverence for the God that we claim to love. Why would we care about them? They see a church that's abandoned a spirit of excellence in favor of a spirit of meh. <laughs> that's good Bible sound theology, right? Spirit of meh. <laughs> no, they see, they, see, they see dysfunction and they go, my life's already dysfunctional enough. I don't need more dysfunction, uh, uh, you know, from 10 to 12 on a Sunday. I'm trying to relax. <laughs> trying to play golf, man, and you want me to, you know, dress up and be dysfunctional with you? I could be dysfunctional in my PJs without you. <laughs> Amen. Come on. Is it, could it be because we just maybe haven't given them enough of a Jesus reason to be compelled to come in? Listen, when, oh man, when people came to Paul and, and Peter, they said, brethren, what must we do to be saved? Why? Because the church was so radiant with the things of God that everybody around them was looking at them like, we got to get in there. What do I have to do to get in this cool club called the church? Can I propose that we have, we have traded and swapped some things? We've traded what we see in these verses for cheaper alternatives. We've traded reverence for overly casual conformity. Now, now no longer do we not reverence God. We want to be as much like the world as we possibly can. We've traded reverence for overly casual conformity. We've traded miracles for entertainment. I don't need smoke for God to show up. I mean, I don't mind it. I don't care. If you want to have smoke machines, that's fine. I like these lights. They make the stage look nicer. But those things aren't doing anything for the anointing in here. But see, we've traded the, 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 the authentic presence of God for some entertainment. We've traded radical generosity for the bare minimum. I don't know, is tithing part of the new covenant? If you're only given 10%, you got a problem with your heart. We've traded radical generosity. I don't think the new covenant has tithing in it. Blockhead, read the Bible. Stop, listen, listen. Nothing good ever happened from seeking the lowest common denominator. Nothing excellent happened by a race to the bottom. No, tithing's not in the new covenant. God wants way more than 10%. He wants everything. He wants all of you and every relationship and every penny in your bank account, your whole house and your car and every sock and every fork in your cupboard. He wants it all. Mm. We have traded radical generosity for the bare minimum. We have traded contentment for comparison. I can't be happy with what I have because you might have more and that bothers me. We've traded God's favor for man's hustle. 
no, Lord, I don't need you to open doors for me. I'll just work harder to kick them open myself. We've traded salvation for membership into our dead institutions. I'm pleading with you this morning, church. I'm pleading with you. Let's not forget the real reason we're here. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Let's stop trading in all the stuff in exchange for God's best. Because his best is way better than anything we could scrape together by our influence and by our smarts and by our activity. I said to this a couple weeks ago, and I love Frankie reminds me of this all the time. I stole this from, from a pastor named Norm Du Bois in Florida. He's got this printed uh, and framed behind his desk. He says, as long as heaven and hell are realities, church growth is not optional. As long as heaven and hell are realities, church growth is not optional. We see all of this in this passage culminating to the Lord adding to the church, not those who were recycled from other churches, daily those who were being saved. It's time to get your neighbor saved. It's time to get your cousin saved and Bobo and them and whoever else is out there and that jerk at your office that you can't stand. He needs Jesus just as bad as you. You might need it worse than him. Listen, Palm Sunday is next week. Easter is the following Sunday. Bring somebody. I want every person in this church to bring one person. Kids, I want you to invite somebody from your school. One person. Adults, I said to the kids first because they're more likely to listen. <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> I've been doing this 10 years. I know what I'm talking about. Listen, don't come alone. Don't come alone. I mean, come, but just <laughs> but, but don't come alone. Find somebody, just one person. Can you make one friend? Find one person that needs Jesus and bring them to Palm Sunday. Bring them to Easter. We're going to, listen, we're going to preach the paint off the walls. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna worship. We're going to have a party in here on Easter. We got, listen, we got people dancing on Easter. I don't know if y'all know this or not. Was this supposed to be a surprise? Okay, I just ruined it. Sorry. Just ruined the surprise. There's going to be people dancing as a part of worship. They're, they're choreographed a number. It's going to be beautiful. Somebody, listen, somebody needs to know Jesus. Somebody needs to be brought by you. Somebody needs your invitation because there's somebody that you will influence that, that they, they don't know me. I, I may never meet them until you bring them. Let's remember why we're really here. Amen. Oh, I've preached myself hungry. Let's stand up to our feet. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. 
If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.